Anarchy wears two faces, both creator and destroyer. Thus destroyers topple empires, make a canvas of clean rubble where creators then can build a better world. Rubble, once achieved, makes further ruins means irrelevant. Away with our explosives then. Away with our destroyers. They have no place within our better world. But let us raise a toast to all our bombers, all our bastards, most unlovely, most unforgivable. Let's drink to their health, then meet with them no more. What's up, Will? What's up, Eric? We got some new mics. We did. We have some uh, very cool mics. Very cool looking. Very uh, professional, I might even say. Well, you know, we're professional, so we need to look professional as well as act professional. And then you haven't been acting professional recently. So these mics so. will help me act more professional. Yes. What kind of mics are these? These are Niwer, I think they're pronounced. Okay. Niwer mics. Um, they give us... They're pretty cool. We have a whole stand set up and everything. A little, uh, the little bounce... Shock, shock wave thing. I'm not really sure what that's for. Like a shock protector for your for your vocal cords. Yeah, you know we don't want. My to voice be too is aggressive. so powerful that I need a little. You know, I know we need to hold you back a little bit. Yeah, we actually got cool. these because my voice is so soft, so and that <laughs> people can actually hear what I'm saying. Would you say? Exactly. <laughs> so let me be clear: we did. They did not provide us with these. We purchased them. Uh, Would have been nice, Neewer, uh to have these shipped to us. But you know, maybe next time you guys can ship us some free mics or something. It would have been nice. What about? That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. But, uh... What are we talking about today, Will? Uh, v for Vendetta. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a graphic novel, as well as a film. Obviously, that's what we do here. Um, so this is episode three of our graphic novel uh, season mm-hmm. here at Little Lens, and it's unfortunately the last uh, comparison episode that we will be doing, um, but it's been fun. So let's get into it. Do it. Uh, so the graphic novel was written by Alan Moore. Uh, illustrated by David Lloyd, and publication dates were September 1988 to May 1999. Uh, the film was directed by James McTeague, written by the formerly the Wachowski brothers, now the Wachowski sisters, um, starring Natalie Portman, Hugo Weaving, Stephen Ray, I think that's how you pronounce it, or Rhea, or Ray, we're going with Ray, and John Hurt. Released in 06, 2006, budget was $54 million, box office was $132.5 million. Like you were like, released in 06. 2006. Oh, you know, like just in case people are listening to this in 2017, be like, oh, maybe oh, 2106. You know, this right. will be people will be listening that far in the future. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. you know, just want to be clear. Okay. Um, yeah. So the story, what's it about, Eric? It's about a vendetta by a character named V. So basically, the novel, the graphic novel, and the movie are a little. Their stories are a little bit different, um, but essentially, this main character V, who wears a Guy Fox mask is killing people and trying to prove, in, in an effort to prove a point. Um, and in killing people, he is really, like, taking over the British government, crippling it, um, taking down all five senses of it, mm-hmm. if you will, um, to kind of 
create, to destroy and create a new, better government for the British people. It's what we all want, really. Yes. As citizens of America, <laughs> we want a better give a fuck about government. government. Yeah. Sorry, all the British listeners. We're not sorry. Yeah. So that's the basic plot. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get into, I think, a little more of the differences between the two. Mm-hmm. But now, I think our famous segment, our famous quiz segment. Do you want to go first or want me to go first? I'll go first. I'll okay. go first. So, um, of those top four build actors, this is actually really, this worked out very well because you named all the actors I was going to name. Oh, okay. Um, so, Weaving, Portman, Ray and uh, John Hurt. Okay. Which of them does not have an Academy Award nomination? Does not have. Yes. Well, it's definitely not Portman. She definitely has one. Uh, I don't know anything about Stephen Ray other than that he's been in this film. He's Irish, I'll tell you that. Okay, he's Irish, thank you. Yeah. Uh, John Hurt is a familiar name. Mm. But I will be honest with you, I... Can I name another movie he's been in? He's been in Harry Potter, dude. Okay, Harry Potter. Thank yeah. you. Which, Remember when we did many? Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? No, did we do that? As, as a, an episode? Yeah. Oh, man. Stephen Fry that. of that, or John Hurt of that thing. Are you sure you did that with me? Or you didn't have, like, a stand-in? It might have been, it might have been a different you. I think I was blacked out, so I don't oh, okay. think that was me. Actually. Classic 2015. <laughs> well. Um, okay, so he was in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but he definitely didn't get a nomination for that. Um, Hugo Weaving? I mean, it's possible. Anything is possible. Oh, I'm just gonna go with Stephen Ray because I don't know anything else he's been in. Stephen Ray is incorrect. He's incorrect. So he has got an Academy Award yeah, nomination. nomination. 1992 for The Crying Game. There you go. There's a little knowledge for you. Wow. Um, Natalie Portman has two nominations. Two noms. For Black the, Swan. The Closer, and she won for Black Swan. So she's one, she's the only one of these four to have one. Which an Oscar? She's got three then. With uh, oh, uh, Jackie. Jackie, right? Right. So three. Okay. Um, and then John Hurt has some nominations. Not for Harry Potter. Not for Harry Potter. Okay. What is uh, the Elephant Man. Was he got multiple? He has two. He did he play the Elephant Man? Do you know? John Hurt. I th- I, John yeah, Hurt. he did play the Elephant Man, and then he got a nomination for Midnight Express in 1978. Wow. I couldn't tell you anything about that movie, but it seems really great. So Hugo Weaving, Weaving is Hugo Weaving. No, answer. yeah, no Academy Award nominations. That seems sad. I feel like he deserves. What was it? he was in the Matrix? Yeah, he's in all what of the. Uh, I think he's in oh, all three of, the, of the Hobbits. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. I mean, Hugo Weaving is laughing on like a pile of money. So yeah, true. Somewhere he's like a great. He's been in so many great franchises. Yeah. I guess just those two, maybe, but... He's a franchise guy. He's a franchise guy. You know? <laughs> he's not a lead franchise guy, but he's, you know, a B franchise guy. Yeah. He's the B-roll. I mean, he's going to put up good stats on a bad team. He's a glue guy. He's not a glue... He's well, a, he's, yeah, a glue, he's, he's a glue guy. He's the Andre Iguodala to the Warriors, right? Yeah, sometimes he gets blocked by LeBron and they lose the championship. Sometimes uh, he's the MVP. There you go. There you go. Metaphor over. <laughs> What's your question, Will? Um, okay. So, the director... Uh, this film, James McTeague, in his next film, he served as a director with, quote, uncredited reshoots of what Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman film, which came out in 2007. This is not the Han Solo movie? What? What? No. <laughs> oh, that was Ron Howard. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig, 2007. I'm going to guess Deliverance, but I have no idea if Nicole Kidman's in that. No. That's the only Daniel Craig movie I know that's not James Bond. So it's called The Invasion. 
Oh. Is it a science fiction movie about the... Don't tell me what it's about. I don't know what it's about, so I couldn't tell you. Well, it's obviously about an invasion, but... Maybe. Oh, maybe not. It could just be a front. Oh. (laughs) It's like an assumed invasion, and then nothing actually happens in the movie. That's why they needed a new director. See? Reshoot. Ah, classic. The Invasion is the fourth film adaptation of the 1955 novel The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. Oh. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. So, it's it's clever, right? It's like the invasion, oh my god, what's it about? The Body Snatchers. Well, if, if you, you told have... me it was the invasion of the Body Snatchers, then I would have known. Why? But because you titled, that was titled so poorly, it probably went straight to like VOD before that was a thing. Whoever titled that film should be fired. They probably were fired. That's why they hired... James McTeague. Our boy. James <laughs> McTeague, yeah. A good quiz. Thank you. Okay. Moving on. Yes. So. Into some of the meat of our conversation. What are we talking yes. about here today, Will? So we're going to talk about some of the differences between uh, the graphic novel and the film, and we're going to get into some of the themes uh, left out of the film that were in the graphic novel that made it so classic um, as well. So let's just get into the themes first. Um, so the graphic novel has a theme of uh, anarchy versus fashion. Uh, whereas the film is not necessarily that way. Not fashion. F- fascism. What did I say? Fashion. No, that's, I said that right. Fashion. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. Fashion. The, uh, the London fashion scene of the 19... Yeah. 1990s, I think, the Gravenel was set, right? Yeah, 1990s. Okay. It was very controversial at the time, so... Yes. Sorry, fascism. A lot of uh, horizontal stripes. They're like... It weren't about that. Yeah, it was out. It was out. Gotcha. So can you uh, give us some more details or your thoughts on that theme? Yeah, uh... So if any of you listen to the introduction, um, the little reading we do here, it was kind of like V's big speech. Um, he talks to Evie, who is Natalie Portman's character in the film, um, a 16-year-old girl in the graphic novel and a 20-ish-year-old character in the movie mm-hmm. um, who is an orphan, and he saves her life and kind of, in, I don't know, like kind of like, takes her in basically as a kind of like his own little future protege protege kind of thing an apprentice basically right? yeah um and he's telling her about like his vision for his end game basically um he's an anarchist he's not a terrorist and that's a difference because in anarchy there's two different ways it kind of occurs right someone destroys something and then someone builds something so he in that speech is later in that speech talks about how he is a creator or he's not a creator he's a destroyer destroyer, so he is the one who will destroy like buildings of parliament like the uh, the big ben or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever is in london yeah um there's kind of like big government buildings he's the one who will like put them into rubble Mm -hmm. um whereas like the rest of london citizens and england citizens will be the ones who will hopefully after he's inspired them rebuild it Mm -hmm. that is at odds with the state as it currently is, I think, the, like, police state mm-hmm. in London and in Britain. Um, I guess in the graphic novel, there's, like, a post-nuclear fallout, and Britain is insulated from that. I'm going to keep using Britain and England interchangeably. Um, it's okay. Nobody really knows the difference anyways. Cool. cool. I don't know. Well, you live there. I live there, and I don't know. I never lived there. The so, the so they kind of survived this whole nuclear fallout um, and have developed this insular police state where you follow fate and fate will guide you. So, you, you, like, don't don't step out of line. If you do, these police men will come to, like, beat the shit out of you. And then kill you. Um, yeah, so, whereas anarchy wants to, like, destroy and then rebuild, fascism 
uh, puts all its eggs in, like, this, like, ideological basket of um, faith through unity. Mm-hmm. Everyone, we are together, we are one, and this is the rule you will follow. Mm-hmm. And now we're following it, and it's super great, and can't you tell, this is awesome. Everything yeah. is awesome. We're the best. Yeah. So those two are the kind of, like, opposing forces in the graphic novel, Mm -hmm. and they are totally written out of the movie. Right. So how would you describe the political atmosphere in the film? As opposed to the graphic novel, it's super American-centric, Americanized. Okay. It's like, oh, America, like, fought this big war, and, like, we don't want to be like America, so fuck America. (laughs) And, you know, it makes sense in the context of, like, 2006 the world Mm -hmm. 2005 the world granted i think the wachowskis wrote this in the 90s but there could have been like several iterations of the script right but i guess it kind of makes sense like in the bush years where um we're starting this war in iraq the second iraq war and people are not really great with americans at that point Mm -hmm. kind of like today i guess yeah it's very relevant to today as well yeah but so it, it definitely doesn't Britain in the movie doesn't seem fascist. It seems like there was a dictator who was elected, and now, I mean, you call him the chancellor, but right. there's this, like, central figure who's been elected, and everything's kind of, like, it's not as dark. Mm-hmm. It's, like, weird to say that, but it doesn't feel as dark in the movie as it does in the graphic novel. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of similarities between, like, Hitler's regime and, like, this regime. I thought it was funny. They definitely have the, like, the the symbol, right? It's very similar. Yeah. Um, and even the colors are the exact same. The red and, and black. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was so funny how John Hurt's character, the Chancellor, was literally on this enormous video screen basically the entire time. Unless they were, uh, like, when they were making fun of him. They yeah. They had imposters. But that was just basically how he did it. He was like that the whole entire movie. And he was basically just yelling and screaming the whole time. I thought that's hilarious. How did they film this? Did they film this in one day? He must have. All his scenes? All his scenes in one day, because it wouldn't have taken that long. Yeah, he's just like a floating disembodied head on a video screen. Yeah. He's just like, Gordon! Yeah, screaming. Yeah, well, I guess not Gordon, but like, Peter Creedy. Yeah. It's your head, you asshole. It's on you. I hate you. But like, with more emotion than I'm performing, but... That was pretty good, though. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. But yeah, it's definitely different. It's um, a little 1984 ish the way he's presented. Exactly. Like, in that performative way. Mm-hmm. Right? Did you, um, would you say that you related to it more? Did you like it uh, more, the change in the film with the political atmosphere as opposed to the graphic novel? Or would you have preferred to see um, the graphic novel's political atmosphere relayed in the film? So your question takes us off on a tangent that we can go if we want to go. I asked this. So. Okay, so so I prefer the graphic novel mm-hmm. because I think that tension creates this like moral ambiguity between everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one hand, like V, is killing people and like bringing buildings to the ground and creating problems, mm-hmm. right? But the government is also creating problems for its citizens. So at the heart of that battle is like this very unclear moral confusion like who who are we supposed to be rooting for mm-hmm. and we don't get that in the film to me it's very obvious that even though v is doing these like objectively bad things like mm-hmm. killing government officials and and people he is always the hero right and though he's the protagonist of the graphic novel too 
there's less of a sense that he's the hero than there is in the movie. Right. There's a, I feel like there's a lot more killing uh, that goes on more often in the graphic novel that's more in question than you... Because we're introduced to these characters in the immediate, right? And he kills them off in basically immediately. But we learn these characters in the film these are, that these are bad people, and then he kills them. He doesn't kill a lot of them, though. Like, as many as he does in the book, especially the leadership. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the people of the ear and nose and fingers and head, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, he kills three of them in the book, and he doesn't kill any of them until he, he kills Peter Creedy at, like, the very end of the movie. And then he killed the woman, the, the botanist, the doctor. But she's not in, like, the... You know what I'm talking about? Like, when oh, the, the chancellor is talking to the five people. Like, he, he kills, like, three of those people in the book. He doesn't right. kill any of them except for one, like, at the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. That, like, that's less interesting to me. Okay. Like, I, don't, I mean, for those reasons. Okay. Right? That's fair. Yeah. I would agree with you. I, I did get the sense that in the book, it's you're, you have this, um, you're not really sure who to root for. It's sort of like, this is this is a story you can root for whoever you want, but we're not going to paint it in a picture where you're persuaded to root for one person or the other. Whereas in the film, it was definitely the case. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And then he, like, cooks Evie breakfast in the film. I don't know if he He's very nice book. to her. He's he like saves her nice. after she saves him. So obviously has some, like... They add a little more... Empathy. They add a little more empathy in the movie, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um... I want to talk to you about those, I mentioned Peter Creed, I want to talk to you about that, like, battle sequence at the very end of the movie. Yeah. With, like, the effects on his knives. Like, a very, like, Matrix-y. Those weren't effects that was real, dude. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, what about him? What did you think? I, I, I thought... It was very Matrix-esque. I mean, the, remember when they shoot the bullets, and they put it in slow-mo, and then you see, like, the... The air ripples, kind yeah. Of, the air vibration. They do it too when she walks out into the rain. They like slow the bu- the slow the uh, raindrops down. Mm. Did you like that? I think it's beautiful. I, w- I want. I have a serious question. Did you like these effects on these like this one random fight sequence and this one stepping outside into the rain? I didn't have any. I don't have any feelings toward it. So, <laughs> well, I can tell you have That's fair enough. some feelings towards it, though. I thought it was, like, so cheesy. Oh, it's for sure cheesy. It's, we have, like, one fight sequence that we're going to spend all of our budget to make it look like The Matrix, because, mm-hmm. hey, The Matrix people wrote it, and I'm, like, the second, I'm, like, the first director on all three Matrixes, so, we're gonna do yo, check it out, I can do some tight stuff, too. But the, I mean, the, the book yeah. is not... It's not like that at all. And the rest of the movie's not like that. It's yeah, very, that seems- to me, it's very alienating. He, like, throws his knives, and they, like, float in the air, and you can see, like, the air current. Yeah, yeah. And the, the blood was very, like, it's very Super red. Yeah. It just, like, squirted It's like the color of his like, roses, you know? Oh. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, thank you. I don't know. I mean, to me, uh, you gotta kind of expect that, because it's a, it's a film that's being marketed based on the Wachowski Brothers at the time. So, it's like, you have to expect this is, there's gonna be, like... Some unnecessary fight scenes, or some over the top. I mean, the Matrix fight scenes were obviously over the top. Um, I don't know. That was the cool, and that was like the aesthetic of that movie. Yeah, that was like this. This was not the aesthetic of this movie. I hated it. Okay, all right. Um, I don't know. I was just so like thrown out of yeah 
Jordan. Well, that whole scene wasn't even in the graphic novel. Yeah. The fact where he he makes a deal with Creedy is kind of like weird, right? Like just so he can bring the Chancellor to him and meet him. Yeah. And then Creedy shoots him in the head, and then he's like, "All right, now I'm going to kill you." Yeah. It just seems like a a weird. Like, why would you ever do that? It's a weird sequence. So why would you ever agree to to doing that? If you're V. Both or parties. if you're Creedy, both parties. Because like, if you're Creedy? V, you know that like, oh, bring your best men, get the Chancellor here. But now all of a sudden you're like fifteen on one, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, you're like pretty good at fighting, but you're not going to withstand fifteen people firing at you. Yeah, he, he even said in the film, like, I don't take stupid risks. I'm a cautious man. That was probably a stupid risk because he ended up dying. Yeah, but it filled the story, and for him to get his Viking funeral. So I guess at that point, he kind of understands that he doesn't need to live anymore. He's fulfilled his purpose. Like, he knows that these people are out there and are going to fill, I don't know if they fill, like, Trafalgar Square or whatever big, like, square they fill mm-hmm. at November 5th, like, the year later, mm-hmm. one year pri- or post the starting events of the movie. Right. So maybe he's just like, yeah, I've done my business and now I can just die. Yeah. That's yeah, that's kind of like the beauty of it, right? It's like now it's passed he dies, it passes on to Natalie Portman's character. But in the movie it doesn't. Well Right? Doesn't it? Well she doesn't so in the graphic novel I, there's spoilers all over this conversation, yeah, but <laughs> spoiler alert. Like the ending is totally different. Because uh, in the graphic novel, mm-hmm. right, he has a one on one with the main investigator. Right. Um, Finch, Finch, who shoots him. He only takes one gun in the graphic novel to take him down. After the entire graphic novel, he's, like, beating up dudes with guns. Yeah. This dude's gun is amazing. It's it's great. Yeah, it's the best gun. (laughs) Um, Huge, huge gun. Yeah. He takes him down, Mm -hmm. and he, like, starts bleeding, and he, like, gets back to Evie, who's in the shadow gallery, his Mm -hmm. house. And he's like, yo, I'm going to die. But it's chill because, like, you're up next. And yeah. she's, like... Tight. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she gets him on, like, the Viking funeral train. Mm-hmm. And then she wears the V-mask. And, like, goes out on November 5th and tells the people, like, Yo, I'm still alive. Forget what they've told you. They haven't shot me. Like, I'm still here. <laughs> Ideas are bulletproof. Oh, my God. And, that was uh, the best part, by the way. Yeah. He, they say that in the movie, too, just after. Yeah. After he takes, like, a hundred thousand shots. Yeah, the moment it was much cooler in the graphic novel. That moment where he says, ideas are bulletproof. Yeah. But, anyway, sorry, continue. So, in the graphic novel, she wears the Guy Fox mask and comes out cloaked and still talks to the people. Mm-hmm. Although, I imagine her voice probably sounds a little bit different. So, yeah. I'd be like, huh, this is kind of, this is probably a different guy, right? No, it's the same. It's like, why, is, this voice is very feminine. <laughs> the other guy's voice is very, like, deep. It's a, it's a, it's a Batman voice? Christian Bale Batman? Oh, maybe they have, like, the, or the Ben Affleck Batman, they have, like, the, oh uh, where they, they, they have, like, a machine, right, that changes his voice? A voice changer? I don't know. I think like they a Bane thing? Oh. Oh. This is DC, right? It's a... It's true. Eventually, it got sold to DC. We're in DC. Well. We're not in DC. We're in... <laughs> we're not right in Yeah, so, but in, uh, you keep me, like... My bad. Changing out. But, yeah, the movie, she, she, he gets shot by Creedy's men, and then... He gets his Viking funeral. He gets his Viking funeral, but Natalie Portman's like f- is found by Finch at the same time, mm-hmm. and Finch is like, "You don't have to send this train," and she's like, "I, yeah, do. I do." And then they walk out together and see the train blow up Parliament. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a little different. But so it's not clear that she is assuming his, like, mantle. Because she comes out... I guess it's not clear that she's not, but she comes out... It's sort of ambiguous. ...as herself with Finch, who knows her identity then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of got the sense... Maybe it was because I read the graphic novel that she was taking it over after she accepted her... She came back the year later, um, and she accepted her role as this new, like, person, basically, after he had tortured her and stuff. I sort of... I don't know. Just expected. Okay, she is the new V. In the movie? Yeah. But she didn't... You're right. She didn't wear the mask. They didn't hint at her becoming the new V with any new, like... She didn't put on a cape or anything. Yeah. But, yeah. It, it is different. Did you... Were you upset that it was different? Not as upset as I was with the fight scenes. Yeah. Agreed. But... I understand. It was just kind of like a... I guess it's like a snowball effect from all the changes they made earlier. Like, they wiped out entire characters, entire, like, plot sequences, mm-hmm. and the way to get the final train to blow up Parliament, they had to change how people interacted with each other at the ending. Yeah. Because they wiped out, like, wives. Um, oh, yeah. Factor heavily into the graphic novel plot. There was even, like, a gangster side plot. Yeah, the, that? uh... Well, Gordon in Gordon. the graphic novel is, a, like, a bootlegger, mm-hmm. and Gordon in the movie is, like, a closeted, Jimmy like, Jimmy Fallon. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I want to ask you, um, to switch gears a little bit, what did you think of, like, the St. Mary's virus plot in the film? So, yeah, the St. Mary's virus that the government creates, right? Created to- and it killed... 80,000. To just kill people to get people, to get like the rest of the citizens on their side. Right. So they had, they basically killed 80,000 citizens um, because they had the cure and it was right in the middle of their election. So all these people died. He was elected and then he released like the cure through a pharmaceutical company, like ally sort of, of the party so that they could get within the good graces of the people so that they could have this regime that, um, basically dominated everyone. Not dominated, but took control of everyone. Was that a... It was kind of weird, right? It was like a... It was different, definitely. Oh, totally. It was I mean, interesting. I didn't I didn't hate it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it was kind of... It was definitely more like 06. Like, okay, all these people are in bed with each other, and so we're going to kill a bunch of people and then sell them the cure, and then everybody, all of us, we're going to have stakes in the company mm-hmm. that sells it, and we're all going to get stupid rich. Yeah. I guess it was, I didn't see it as necessary, but I think it obviously paints the antagonists in an even worse picture than they than they would have been if that they had left that out. So, I don't know, I was just kind of like, okay, like this is a little little extra, a little much that's not really, really necessary to the story, right? Yeah, I, I guess, so they uncover it, like the detectives uncover it, mm-hmm. because that they're trying to link, I guess they find out, he, he, they're trying to, he sits... Finch sits his assistant, Dominic, down in the room and is like, how do you feel about a government that does this? Yeah. And... I was like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, they should have gotten more into the Lark Hill stuff. I guess that was sort of tied in. They had... They did do the diary of the, uh, the botanist woman mm-hmm. who, like, experimented on the... Yeah. The Reverend is definitely more dedicated to the Lark Hill stuff. Mm-hmm. Um... I feel like they could have gotten more into that. Like, what were specifically like the um 
the voice of fate. I can't remember what his name was. His role with the uh, the priest Prothro, Pro- yeah, Prothro or something like that. Whatever. Um, like, what were their specific roles in this whole Lark Hill uh, detention center disaster? You know, I, it would feel like it was just sort of like coded over. Like, yeah, they were a part of it, but they were in charge of it. But you know, we don't really know what they did. We know what the botanist doctor did because um, she administered all the whatever medications mm-hmm. uh, that like basically killed everyone except for V. Yeah, so you just felt in the movie that they were just kind of there, mm-hmm. and the fact that he killed them didn't have the same like power for you as it did in the graphic novel, where mm-hmm. you get an idea of like what it is they do. Yeah, yeah, it would have been more interesting to kind of delve more into that instead of having this whole subplot of oh, we, you know, the government killed eighty thousand people. Just we're gonna do that, throw that in because it paints them in a worse light. Like, okay, we get it. Yeah, like I, I understand why it's there, but I just for me it didn't. But no, no one ever learns that, right? So, like, it's not like the people of London learn no. that the government does that. It's just a way for the viewer and for, like, the select people who learn that information to recognize that, like, you should be rebelling against your government. It makes it okay because they've done horrible things. Right, exactly. Yeah. What did you feel about the omission of, like, fate into the movie entirely? You know, in the, you mean, in the, like, as a theme or, like, as the voice of fate? Like, uh... I guess as a theme, they like redo the posters, the like propaganda posters. They're not, it's not like, they don't have fate in them. Mm -hmm. They don't have the fate machine that the leader in the book, the chancellor in the movie, like falls in love with and Mm -hmm. watches all the time. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of left out. The voice of fate was a very, very minor character in the, in the movie, or sorry, the film. Yeah. Uh, where he was a very big character and basically the first domino effect for the whole graphic novel. Yeah. Um, where they were thinking, oh, now that he's dead, what do we do? How do we fix, you know, how do we come up with another voice of fate? We can't just fake it because everybody knows it. And they didn't really touch on that. The voice of fate guy just died, and then it was like, okay, we're moving on. We're not going to discuss this. Yeah, because he's basically the guy, the voice that tells people what to do. Yeah. Right? They don't know. I, I guess they know who he is. Do they not? I don't think they know who he is in the graphic they novel. No, they, he's just a voice. He's but not a in the But in the movie, he has like a, he's like, uh, he's a talk show host. Yeah, you said right? Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, he's like a Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, except like even worse, like crazier. Yeah, he's very just like out there. Yeah, very eccentric. Yeah. Um, it was, <laughs> I thought this, and they also killed him differently too. So, I really enjoyed both of his deaths, deaths in the one, the one in the graphic novel and the one in the film. When the one in the film, he's in the shower, right? And he's literally <laughs> watching his own broadcast, like, repeating, like, the words and stuff because he's so amped up. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, from V. Isn't that what you do when you listen to these podcast episodes, though? Yeah, well, why'd you say that on air? Oh, my bad. It's also what Kanye does when he listens to music, so he listens to his own music. Yeah, but you don't like Kanye. Yeah, yeah, I don't right. like Kanye. Right, but when the matter you act like Kanye. Be quiet. Okay. Just move on. But, um, yeah, so his death, I thought was really funny uh, in the film, but also in the graphic novel. So, for whatever reason, the uh, voice of fate has this weird fetish for these dolls. Do you remember this? And uh, V captures him, brings him back to his lair, or or sorry, the shadow gallery, has all of his dolls, like, lined up. And he's, like, going crazy. He's like, no, I'm not my dolls. How did you get my dolls? And he puts them all in the incinerator, like the Lark Hill. Uh, what happened to him? Not him specifically, but what happened to Lark Hill. Yeah. And he incinerates all the dolls, and the dude loses his mind. Literally loses yeah. his mind. He goes crazy. He goes crazy, and he can't, like, speak. So they find him, and he's literally, 
I think he has like makeup on or something, but he is he can't say anything, he can't speak, he's just like staring into oblivion because his dolls are all gone. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. It's a little the deaths in the novel are a little more creative. Yeah. They just like kill him in, in the movie and they just kill the priest in the movie. Whereas in the book they he makes the Prothero go crazy and he makes the priest eat a like the Wafer. He eats like the. Oh yeah, yeah. The wafer the, was poisoned. Like the body. He eats like the body of Christ, right? And yeah. Then he gets poisoned that way. What a great way. Yeah. That was that was a great death. Yeah. How did he die in the film? I can't even remember. He just, he just, he just kills him. I think they don't like really show it, but he's just like they, they like see him, seeing V, and then he's like, "Yo, your, your time's up." And then it cuts to like him on the ground with like the tape oh, okay. chalk line around him. So we don't. It's on. It's not confirmed how he died. Yeah. But he's he did. But it was a cool, cool like creative death yeah also so i don't think they did this in the graphic novel so natalie portman's character is is directed by v to go sort of not seduce but this like weird priest guy is like has a fetish for young girls yeah and she is escorted to the uh to the church where he is so v can like get in there and so he can kill him but when they are interacting uh the priest and natalie portman's character evie uh, Evie tries to escape in the film. Like, she's telling him, it's me, it's me. Like, I need you to save me. I'm, like, the, I'm the captor of, uh, I've been captured by V. And he thinks it's a big game. But she didn't do that in the graphic novel, I believe. I think she was just playing along. Yeah. She's, in the movie, she definitely bristles against V a little more. She, like, runs away, comes back, runs away again, comes back, goes away again. Mm-hmm. In the graphic novel, she's there most of the time. She runs away once, mm-hmm. and then just is, like, chilling there the rest of the time. Yeah, so I think that has this, a lot to say with who the character was. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But the, um, so she's 16 years old in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, and she's very vulnerable. She's, like, she ends up trying to become a prostitute, basically. And she, that's how she's, like, about to be arrested, and then V interacts with her, or saves her, excuse me. But in the novel, or in the film, she's, like, works at this television studio. So she's yeah. older. Why do you think that is? Probably for the sake of, like, casting actresses. Yeah. Or, like we were talking about before, maybe not not wanting to have young girls, like, having, being a prostitute on screen. Yeah. I don't know, something, maybe. like, censor, not censorship, but, like. Something that is easier for the director and something that's not quite as, like, far out for, like, the rating boards, maybe. That's probably true. Without sacrificing too much of the heft of her story. I don't know. Yeah. She was definitely more rebellious. And I think it's because she was older in the film. But I still liked her. I mean, there was... That's true. As a 17-year-old, you'd be a lot more, like, dismissive. Or not dismissive, like, uh... Passive? Yeah. Yeah, A little more passive. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Did you like Natalie Portman? I bet she, you didn't like her British accent. At the very beginning, but then I didn't notice it throughout. It was very, like, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like it at the very, very first voiceover. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, this is going to be a long movie. Yeah. But then I guess either I got accustomed to it or I didn't notice it as much. So I thought it was kind of a... Did you think it was a long movie? Overall? Yeah, it was... I know it was like two hours, 12 minutes. It didn't feel long. Okay. Um, so it's not a long movie to you? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say so. Not like uh, Watchmen? Yeah, oh my god. I, I could long. barely watch Watchmen. Yeah, it's so long. Yeah, this was a little long to me, but I, I felt like it was... I did like Natalie Portman, too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, anybody who gets their head shaved is fine by me. <laughs> so I think she actually, her performance actually did a lot better after, she, after that. I don't know if it was because she cut her hair. Her well, she hair plays was a little down. Yeah, a little metaphor, right? Metaphor. Well, she plays a different kind of character after her hair gets shaved. She loses a little bit of that, like, mm-hmm. not innocence, but a little. She loses some of her. I guess it's the, what you would say. She loses her fear. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what they say in the movie. That's what they say in the graphic novel. Yeah. Like, she becomes fearless and willing to accept death and all yeah. that good, fun, sunshine, rainbowy stuff. That I bought in. I bought into that. When I shave my head, that's how. Uh, that's how I feel. Is that right? Yeah. I, I haven't gotten that impression, but... Well. Maybe next haircut. Maybe next haircut. <laughs> um, so, as we said before, um, this is our last graphic novel um, comparison podcast episode. Uh, so, we want to like talk a little bit about graphic novels and how they've affected us and how... Very strongly. Very strongly. Very positively. Um, and how, you know, how we feel about it and if we'll kind of continue reading them in the future. So, let's start with you. How have you felt about this graphic novel journey that we've been on together? I've liked it. It's it's They're so different because of the lack of, as I think we said in the Ghost in the Shell episode, like the lack of direction that we're given reading these. It's a panel of, you know, drawings, basically, mm-hmm. and very little context. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're very, like, lost in the story without... You're like, yeah, you're lost in the story without a rudder, basically. Like, you have to figure out where you are yourself. Right, yeah. Um, and it's all told through dialogue and sometimes these, like, inner chapter vignettes that give you a little more perspective on the story. So, mm-hmm. as a form of literature, it's it's so different, but it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. And I've enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed V and I've enjoyed Watchmen. Ghost in the Shadow is a little, that was a little different, but... yeah. I'm not used to, like, the, the you know, Western literature, right. Western writing. I'm, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't read a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, neither have I. So, I mean, it was a little, or, like, disorienting at first. Yeah. I mean, you, you didn't grow up reading comic books, right? No. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah. So, I think jumping into graphic novels, it's like, oh, my God, what, what the hell is this, kind of. Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It's, uh, the more I've read, the more I've enjoyed it, I think. Um... Ghost in the Shell was kind of like, oh god, this is like, this is a little tough. It's going to be a long season. I feel like it was kind of a deep cut to do our first one, but it, I mean, it obviously worked out with the with the release of the film. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, oh my god, this is crazy. And then Watchmen was like, it was a four hundred page. Yeah, it's a beast. It's a beast of a, and plus it had also literature involved with it. Yeah. So it was a little heavier. Uh, but this one I thought was was really good. It was like two hundred and sixty pages, really. This one came together really fast for us. It was yeah. like a two week. Soup yeah. to nuts process. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do more of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of like your, well, before we, let me back up. Mm-hmm. In terms of like adapting a graphic novel to the screen, what have you felt were some of the, like the strong points of that and some of the things that you saw over the course of the season that you thought could have, that didn't really work? Adapting it to the screen? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting concept because if you're given um say a novel just a literary novel not a graphic novel the director has so much more freedom with what they can tell but if you're telling it from a graphic novel you're literally given the storyboard is the graphic novel yeah so you kind of have to be true to basically the style as well as like a lot of the images um 
and obviously like the costumes and all that kind of stuff as well. So you, you're kind of, I don't want to say limited, but you, you basically are, have limitations on what you can really do. Um, which I think is cool. I mean, it's, I don't necessarily prefer it because it's like, it's, you sort of not t- get tired from it, but it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Like I saw that in the graphic novel, they put it on screen. That's, mm-hmm. you know, like the one that stands out to me is like the, the domino scene. Yeah. Like the way they did it in the graphic novel was kind of like shitty. It was just like two lines of dominoes and feet. But in the film, they had this totally extravagant domino uh, setup where it was like thousands of dominoes. Yeah. That uh, came to a came to a, a nicer V. Nicer V. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I, I, I will hold judgment. I will say that I like it, but I wouldn't say that I prefer it over another form. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in saying that you're kind of inheriting this, like, theme, or not theme, like, you're inheriting a certain tone, a certain color palette, a certain world, and it can be hard as a director to, like, branch away from that, because you might get a little pushback, just Mm -hmm. from, on, like, a very surface level, being Mm -hmm. like, this is not the same world that we've loved. Right. So, like, what are you doing? Yeah, Whereas, like, if you read Pride and Prejudice, like, there's many different takes on, like, how to build that world. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, for example. Yeah, I watched that in theaters. That's not what? true. I, that's a lie. I watched Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter in theaters. You should, I got confused. You should not have said that. I got confused. <laughs> they, they were so similar to me. Um, yeah, so that's it. I've, I've enjoyed this graphic novel series. I think my favorite novel has been Watchmen, and my favorite movie was probably... Uh, I don't want to say. Viva Vendetta. It's gotta be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would I would have say the exact same thing. Okay. Yeah. So I think I, I think I yeah, I would say the exact same thing. Cool. Um let's wrap up. You wanna wrap up? So I know it's should, been it's hard to say goodbye to the series, but, but we have to say which we liked better. Did you like the graphic novel better or did you like the film better? A V for Vendetta? Yeah. A graphic novel for me. Really? Yeah. Are you gonna go film? Are you gonna go film on me? I always go film. I don't really go literature. Do you always go film? I always go film. I think. We need to, we need I to, have to. I gotta keep the tradition going. We need to re-listen to these, right? Mark this down. Okay, film. Okay, cool. Boom. Um, so that's it. Um, so what is our next episode, Eric? Our final episode of season. Our bonus three. episode. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. What are we doing? Three. Are we doing anything or? Are we doing anything? I'm not really sure. Oh, well, you clearly haven't been abreast of the little ends at gmail.com. <laughs> um, so next episode, we're actually going to be interviewing a employee of Fandom Comic Books. It's a, a locally owned and run comic book store in downtown D.C. Um, we're talking to him next week about, in addition to like comic book and film adaptations, um, just like the day-to-day variancies of running a comic book store and how those survive in an era of you know online retailers putting these kind of brick and mortar places out of business taking them to task basically um so it's it's gonna be a pretty cool conversation i'm pretty excited for it we're gonna go on location yeah and do it i'm excited for it too i think it should be really really fun um especially since this will be a totally different um interview i mean the interview we had with chris avocado was awesome yeah um to get her her insight into writing a novel and I think what we're going to get from this interview is more of a perspective about um, reading graphic novels and reading comic books and like sort of delve into that culture um, a little more than we already know. Um, and there's definitely a strong culture. So, I, you know, when these movies come out, 
there's a lot of opinions thrown around. For sure. So it'd be nice to kind of get into that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, that should that episode should be up uh, Thursday night or Friday um, before I head off to Europe. I'm sorry, Eric. It was going to Europe. Yeah, I'm going to Europe for three weeks. Should be fun. Yeah. Um, well, I won't be there, so it probably won't be as so, so much fun. <laughs> I might not come back, though, honestly. Good. So. <laughs> um, so shout out some plugs. Yeah. Uh, check us out on Twitter, at lit to lens Instagram, at lit to lens uh, WordPress, LitToLensBlog.WordPress.com. Uh, search us on SoundCloud, lit to lens and we are also on iTunes. Um, this episode should be up probably tonight. What is tonight? Sunday? Today's Sunday the 2nd. 2nd? Yeah. June happy 2nd. 4th of July. Yeah, listeners. happy 4th. Happy America Day. Go uh, eat some hot dogs and uh, root for Kobayashi. I don't know if he's in it this year. But, oh, what about uh, Jeremy Chestnut? Well. <laughs> or what's that other really, Matt Stoney? Yeah, Matt Stoney. Matt Stoney is the official eater of uh, the Let's Lands podcast. <laughs> That's true, he is. The, the official eater. The official eater. Yeah. Is there anyone else we want to shout out? Or? Well, I think Shia LaBeouf deserves a little credit here. I almost um, forgot. Just for being himself. He's got some movies coming out. We'll probably keep in touch with him as a... Yeah. We're still emailing him, right? Back and forth? Yeah. I mean, his representation is... It's a tough... It's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. But I think he's... I think he's passionate about what we're doing. Yeah. I think he sees our vision. Obviously, we see his vision. So, if we can put our visions together, we yep. just double the vision. Yeah. 2020, like, 40-40 vision. That would be worse vision, actually. We're you, doubling you the vision. go 10-10. It's, it's, it's not going to be better vision. It's certainly going to be worse. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for us. Yeah. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you guys tomorrow. Bye. Ah!